Coming live from Oklahoma City is our guest this evening. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Drake Sifers, serial entrepreneur, and we learn from him how to build a business to sell. Welcome to the show, Drake. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So you see, you are right now, you have just recently sold your business and you are exploring what next. So what did you sell and what are you exploring? People, people will be listening to this because everybody wants to build a business that they can sell at a good price and they can retire to the Himalayas with all that money. <laughs> yeah, so I had a wireless internet service provider. So we um, gave internet to homes and businesses in a small uh, rural town uh, just outside of Oklahoma City uh, called Weatherford, Oklahoma. And <clears throat> I raised angel funding uh, for that. I believe it was in 2017 uh, with a partner that I had at the time. And then we uh, we built it out, scaled it, and then we actually sold it um, during COVID when we were having a ton of... Uh, we we're actually growing really rapidly during that time. Um, and so in order to take things to the next step, uh, selling it just seemed to be the uh, right thing to do uh, for me, for my employees, and for the customer. Right, Rick. Right. You, you make it sound so easy. You know, you have been an entrepreneur <laughs> since 16, since yes. you were 16, mm -hmm. and you are a serial entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You have yes, done sir. so much, so many things, and you know. So it, for you, it can be very easy the way you speak of it. For a lot of people who are in businesses or even while they are doing some, something else or a job or something, everybody dreams to start something of their own. Mm -hmm. And then here you are talking about not just building a business, but also selling it at a good mm -hmm. price. So first, uh, uh, Drake, is that is building a business so easy? And if people want to build a business, uh, to sell, then is it something different than building a normal business? Are there particular sectors that they should, should look at? Uh, I want you, I'm asking you so many questions at the same time so that, you know, you can answer at your own pace. So over to yeah. you. Yeah, I, I don't think that building a business is necessarily easy. Um, I think it's in some ways easier than people think and in other ways it's more difficult than people think. Um, you know, I've, I've had the benefit of experience of, you know, having done this a few times. And so that definitely helped me, uh, helped me do things uh, a little bit differently and a little bit better. Um, you know, every, with practice, you, you get better at things. And so I don't know that it's necessarily um, easy. I think the biggest thing um, when you're trying to build a business to sell is building it so that you're, it's easy. A lot of people will try, you'll try and build a business around you. And so you'll try and build a business so you can, you know, first, the first hump is getting customers, making sure you have enough customers so you can put food on the table and um, start to have money to reinvest back into the business. Um, but then a lot of people will start to build the business so that it makes their job easier instead of building it so that uh, you're not uh, needed in the business as much. 
And so building it so that anybody can do your job as the business owner, that's really what it comes to. Uh, that's really the best way to build it to sell. And that's what if you talk to if you talk to investment bankers, if you talk to um, anybody that has that's looking to buy businesses, that's what they're looking for is, is buying a business that runs as a business and buying instead of buying a business that runs because of the owner. Okay. Okay, Drake. <clears throat> People who start a business, generally, there's a saying, follow your passion, follow mm -hmm. your heart, do something you like. And so there are two aspects of the business. Mm -hmm. One is a business that you love. So don't know whether you want to like to sell it. And there is a business which is you don't like to do, you almost hate, but you know it's very profitable. So... Yeah. Let's start from a bit earlier than that. How does a person decide what business uh, is something that he can take? And what is it that, you know, is, is it worthwhile because it will take some time for that business to grow, scale up, and then it will be in a position to sell it. So mm -hmm. how can he be sure that it is saleable, uh, it is worth it, and somebody would be interested to buy it. So how do you start doing uh, from the idea itself and then coming to the growing part of it? How do you get to that point when you have done not done anything about it before? Well, what I tell people, the best way to start a business is to try to find a problem to solve. Um, the best businesses I, I find are not started with just random ideas. Usually they're started by solving a problem that people have. And so by starting, if you are able to solve someone's problem, then you've got a built-in customer right there. And so if you have a certain set of skills that allow you to solve a problem for a person in a meaningful way, then you're able to immediately have customers, immediately generate some cash flow. So that's when I, when people are like, oh, I really want to start a business. It's like, great, just go to people you know who... Uh, who may be business owners or just may have, they just ask them, hey, what are some problems you have? The easiest way to start a business is just go talk to business owners and say, hey, what are some problems that you're struggling with right now that if you had more time, you would be fixing? And if you just fix those problems and charge them for it, um, that'll that'll work out. In our case, um, in our case with the internet service provider, uh, a lot of rural communities are dramatically underserved um, when it comes to internet access and they are, things are rapidly starting to close that gap where there are uh, solutions in place, um, or the governments, governments are starting to put stuff in place so that people can, uh, have either subsidies to help build out internet service, or, uh, they're just more entrepreneurs who are seeing opportunities and just pouncing on them. Um, but so in the town that we were at, internet service was was really, really poor. And so we you know, established that by going door to door. And like I said, literally going and asking the people who would be customers, hey, is this actually a problem? If we were to come up with something, is this something you would be interested in? And so by doing you know, door to door surveys across the town, that was where we were able to establish, yes, this is a problem. And we believe that we can fix that and fill that need. Okay. So once you have zeroed in on an idea, and maybe it's something like about a solution, so uh, apparently it's a service that you are providing. 
now generally we see that uh, in a survey in a survey sort of a business in some time other people also follow if they say that they see that this service is growing up and there is a demand for such a service mm -hmm. then you got other competitors mm -hmm. then the competitors start with you know mm, competitive pricing because they can afford to especially if they have a backer some angel some investor uh, venture venture fund coming into that place now how do you uh, exist during that that time yeah. and if you are bootstrapping yourself or using your own funds or you have not got fund from anywhere else then how do you chart the path for yourself and for your business that it becomes uh, viable for you to run it and then also becomes profitable enough for you when you sell it mm -hmm. if at all there are any there is anybody interested in your business by that time yeah so one there's several things one a lot of people tend to think if there's competition that is bad um, competition is actually a great thing um, because a lot of times especially if the players in your market are or your competitors are very large because if they're really large usually there are there is some aspect of their business that they are overlooking so in the case of where we were going we actually had very intense competition against uh, multi-billion dollar companies um, and actually most of the time they were as you said directly in a price war with us um, so First off, when we first started the business, our main goal was to be the fastest provider. We had the highest advertised speeds at the lowest cost um, for the speeds that you could get. Um, we weren't trying to necessarily be the super cheap option. We were just trying to be the best option. And so when we went in, that was the case. That was true. Um, and we built uh, the first part of our business on that. But as... Uh, as we grew and as we started taking market share, several of the more established players started to increase their advertised speeds, which that's different than the actual speeds that you get, but they were advertising higher speeds, lower prices. And what became clear to me was that if you look at the way internet service is, uh, is advertised and the way it's priced, usually they just put, you know, your megabytes per second and here's the price. Um, but, for 95% of people, they don't really know what those megabits, megabits per second mean. They don't. They just are using it as a false metric to try and compare certain packages. And so what I realized was that really all people wanted was they wanted to come home from work, they wanted to sit down on the couch, they wanted to turn on their television, and they wanted Netflix to work. And if Netflix didn't work, they wanted to be able to call somebody and have it fixed right then. Or if they didn't want to wait three hours on hold, or they wanted, if it couldn't be fixed right then and there, they wanted it to be fixed within 24 to 48 hours and have good communication on what's going on and how it's assumed it's going to be resolved. And so once I realized that, I was like, oh, people don't actually know what they're buying. They're trying to, they're just doing the best they can with the limited information, limited understanding they have. So I retrained all of my agents here's how we're going to talk about the internet now. And here's how we're going to talk about our service. And our service was going to be focused mainly on customer service to where you weren't on hold for you know, any more than 10 to 15 minutes if you got on hold. 
we were fixing things within anything that was any sort of major outage was fixed within 48 hours. Anything that was small was fixed within 24 hours, if not same day. And we just had a really high level of service and handholding. And turns out that's what people really want. And people just want to sit down and they want to have it work. And so uh, internet, uh, some people joke, it's kind of like oxygen and sex. You're only upset if you're not getting any. Um, and so that's once I realized what people were actually buying, which was peace of mind about having their internet connection work, then I was able to re, uh, reposition us in the market so that our messaging reflected that. And that is that and having a well-built network that actually delivered on the promise of having very little downtime. I mean, we were doing things like adjusting our scheduled maintenance windows to before 4 a.m. So we were bringing the whole network down if we had to do anything, uh, any maintenance. We were doing that well before anybody was awake. And so it's amazing that um, more companies don't do that, but you know, they'll just take the whole thing down in the middle of, you know, in the middle of the day. And that's, everybody doesn't, precisely remember when stuff goes down but emotionally they start to just get this subconscious sense that it goes down it goes down it goes down well if you can prevent that then you are just creating a consistent separation between you and the competition and so that as far as that's kind of just the layout of how internet landscape works but for anybody who's looking to start a business if you look at competition um well, kind of how I just laid out, it doesn't necessarily mean that competition is a bad thing. It just make, means that you need to select your messaging and try as best you can to really understand what the customer actually wants. Um, because at the end of the day, they want the result. They don't really care that much about the mechanisms that you use to get them there. They just want it to be easy and effortless on their part. Right. Right, Rick. Now... When you know that you have to, you are building, going to build a business that you have to sell, then what is the time horizon that they should uh, keep in mind or they should fix for that? Some people, almost everybody would like to build tonight, sell tomorrow, but that's not going to happen. So yeah. uh, from a serial entrepreneur, what's the advice on this? Uh, I think for most people, well, so first of all, it depends on where you're at. Um, you know, obviously you want a business that is the best businesses, you know, are healthy, they're profitable and they're growing. And so if your business fits those categories, then usually depending on what you want for it and how realistic your expectations are, I would say you would start preparing for it one to two years, over one to two years. Um, and that's if you haven't done anything now. If your business is already built up pretty well, you've got a good leadership team, you may be able to push that along faster. But generally, that's the what I would, would expect. Um, typically, what happens, uh, what I've seen and what, what we did was um, early on, the business was very, very heavily dependent on me. And I needed to build it to where I had employees who were well-trained and everything. And I wasn't the bottleneck in my employees getting anything done. And so that if you, you know, take Drake and put John in Drake's place, for the most part, the business will run pretty well without me. Or if I was selling to a larger company, 
then they would be able to put, let's say, a regional manager in place and be able to to just continue on operations. One big thing is deciding. Uh, one big thing is deciding who your buyer is and who to target. So I knew that my buyer was more than likely going to be a company that was bigger than me. And so I'm trying to think through what are the things that are going to be important to them when they take over the business that if I can get ahead of what they're trying to do and put those in place in my business to where it makes their, uh, their process after acquisition easier, then that's going to make my business more attractive to them. Um, and so it's understanding, are you, are you selling to someone who is about your same size? Or are you selling to someone who's much bigger than you? Are you selling to someone who is in your industry who would be called a strategic buyer? Or are you selling to someone who's only going to be looking at the financial metrics of your business who is a financial buyer, which would be like private equity or something like that? And so when you understand that, um, it changes the way that you position your business to be a an, a, an attractive asset for them to, to pursue. In my case, we had uh, several, uh, the government was doing a massive uh, giveaway to help build out internet in a rural area. And so I looked and I saw that there were four people that won funding in my area. And so I figured out, well, I just went and found a way to talk to the owner or the person who'd be responsible for the acquisition um, at all of them and said, hey, if I were you, I would want to buy this rather than just build it from scratch. And two, if you buy me, you don't have to compete with me. And here are all the ways that I would compete with you if you were to come in. Oh, and by the way, I know this is a multi-state expansion for you, and it's unlikely that you're going to find someone who is like me, who understands all these things, to help you continue to build it out. So I knew that um, I was, they were going to want me to stay on and work for them for a little bit longer. But that was one of the, uh, you know, one of the carrots that you you dangled out there. And so it would ease their ability to hire. It would give them boots on the ground that was familiar with the market. And so all of those things to say, that's, that's, that's just extra detail in how you would think through what your acquirer might want in something that they were buying and then building your business and positioning it for that type of exit. Right, right, right. Now, in terms of, you know, when you start a business, mm -hmm. uh, how much should one uh, invest their own money, put their own money into the business if they have it? If you don't, then there is no other option but going to the banks or investors. But if you have, then what's your advice? Uh, how much they should put? Uh, uh, they should put 100%, 30%, 10%, or just what's what's your advice on this? Oh, I think that I think that the best way to grow any business is to try to put as much of your money in as you can. Um, because that will help you. So I've done it different ways. Um, I've put my own money into the business and then I've also raised money and looking at the two options the, your best bet is to do everything you can to get as far along as you can using your own money. Um, because, uh, money is the type of thing to where it's like an accelerant. It can get you where you're going a lot faster if you go and raise more of it. Um, but if you're going in the wrong direction, it can put you off a cliff really quickly. So uh, 
I always tell people to do what you can to try and get some level of establishment, especially if you're new to the industry. Um, so let's say if you're if you're in my industry or uh, internet service provider, um, there are there is equipment that you can get, especially with wireless equipment like we had, um, where you can do you can establish a business for relatively cheap, um, and you can start to get collect cash flow. You start to learn more about some of the things that uh, some of the problems you may run into. And then you're able to iterate on that. And then if you do go raise capital, you're able to supercharge your growth instead of, you know, the ups and downs associated with, you know, the businesses as it starts. So I, I, I tend to recommend people put as much of their own money as they can um, because it will be easier to raise money once you have a business uh, that is that's functioning okay okay and when uh, do you uh, go to a bank or investor how uh, how do you decide whether bank will be good for you or to go to a, a venture capital or or some some sort of an investor or a partner whoever mm -hmm. it is how do you decide who should they prefer and why I think usually, um, well, usually they, to a certain extent, will self-select for you. Um, banks typically will not loan on, unless you're doing some sort of SBA, uh, which is an American program uh, for, for small businesses. But unless you, have, um, unless you have that, usually banks are looking for an asset uh, that they can finance. So that would be like a piece of land, a house, um, a building, or... Uh, like an apartment complex, um, most banks do uh, are doing real estate um, primarily, or some sort of some sort of asset that they can collateralize and then resell that secures the loan. Um, whereas VCs um, and angel investors are usually more apt to focus on funding something uh, that is more an idea, more uh, that is less tangible. And um, that's that's usually how just how they how they go. If you can find a bank that'll finance your idea, then great. Um, but usually, usually the, the the different types of lenders have their own type of uh, of asset that they look to loan on. Right, right, Rick. And during this part, all this process, where do, who is your best advisor at this point in time? Uh, is are you your own best advisor or you look for an advisor who can handhold you during all these processes? Um, I was really blessed. I had uh, my investor uh, had sold his company. Um, it was he had, had a startup and he had sold it for one and a half billion dollars. Um, and he and I were doing weekly calls where he would uh, just drop all sorts of wisdom and give me give me advice and helping me. Um, a sounding board and um, you know really give me wisdom and how to navigate everything that was going on and so if if you have someone like that 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 can someone who's already done done this before um, somebody who's already uh, who's already built something who's already scaled something anytime you can do that you're gonna have uh, a much better time uh, much better time with it um, so if you can find that go for it. That's, that's a super important thing. And a lot of times, most people, most businessmen love to, uh, <clears throat> love to pass down their wisdom and love to share 
and love to help the next generation um, avoid some of the pitfalls that, that they may have gotten into. And so um, I, I think that if you are if you are diligent and if you can provide value to the relationship for them, then I think there are plenty of people that are more than willing to help out. Okay. Okay. Now about the valuation part, mm -hmm. how do you create value for your business? Should we just, should you just wait uh, that uh, there is a business growth, business scale, scale up, or you create valuation through uh, getting other parties involved, investors, venture funds, you know, venture capital. How do you do that? Because if they put money, then it goes exponentially, it rises. And you start also selling in bit by bit, uh, and you are getting some money at the, at the initial stage itself, if it is uh, worthy of that from their perspective. How do you uh, explain that from your perspective? Well, I think it depends on, it depends on what type of business. Um, what type of business you're growing, um, how much of it, uh, typically when people are raising really large chunks of money, they're trying to go after, um, very big sections of the market. Um, they're trying to become the dominant player and capture market share. Um, they care more about being the elephant in the room than they care about profitability, um, right off the bat. So, um, you see, uh, you've seen this tons in tech where you know, Uber wants to be the main ride-sharing app. And so they're going to do everything they can to capture customers at, even if they're losing money on every customer, just so that they have those customers and those customers are used to using Uber. Um, the way our model works with uh, being an internet service provider, I wasn't going to be able to do that because of the geographic restrictions uh, that we had. And... Um, and I also didn't, I knew what was coming down, what was coming down the road. So we were a wireless internet service provider and, uh, most places were starting to go to fiber and I knew that was happening. And, um, I, you know, had my head on a swivel and was looking at that and thought, I'm either, I either need to sell this and uh, find sell this to someone who wants to do fiber in our area or i need to go raise you know two to five million bucks to go build it out myself um, and capture the market and when i was looking at that when i was looking at what it would take um, from the business and from me it just made more sense to sell it to someone who who wanted to uh, who wanted to take on that risk, take on that burden, someone who uh, would have uh, more expertise. Like I didn't have a background in having an internet service provider. I had had an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial background, but I had not had a background doing telecommunications. And so it may, I thought it would be better for, uh, for our customers and for our employees um, if I were to sell to somebody who was, who was positioned to, to put fiber in the ground. Right, Rick. Now, uh, during this time, when you are trying to build a business that you want to sell, then where is the customer in between? How do you, how much do you focus on the customer service experience, on the customers, as well as on the exit part? Or how do you balance that out? And what then uh, customer experience or customer service means to you or should mean to you during this whole process? Well, 
I would say internet service is one of the most intense customer experience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the most expensive uh, customer experience really matters with right. uh, internet service provider. Either the experience is or they don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, most of us, mo most of us know uh, either from personal experience or we have friends who, um, when they talk about their internet service provider, they, they don't, they don't speak kindly of them. Um, so that was, that was the big thing that we were trying to focus on because, um, and where it matters for the potential acquirer is the potential acquirer is looking at what's called churn is how many customers are you losing every month, um, versus, so you have your, your growth trajectory and, you know, how many customers are you losing every month that affects that growth trajectory? And so if they look at you and say, oh, you're growing really quickly, but you're also, you know, losing just as many customers out the back end, well, then you're going to be spending more money, way too much money on marketing, trying to acquire new customers because you can't keep the ones you have. And so if you can provide a good customer experience, you're able to reduce your churn rate. And by having lower churn, that business becomes much more attractive to potential acquirers because they can tell that there are not uh, there are not any big underlying issues major red flags with the business that they're getting ready to buy and so for us kind of like I alluded to earlier what that meant was uh, focusing on what the customer really wanted which was they didn't want to be you know the major our major competitor in the space they would have three, four hour hold times only to get hung up on at the end of the, as soon as they get on the line with someone and then, um, then they have to call back again. And those kinds of things just frustrate people. And so for us getting, being able to talk to, you know, being able to talk to a real person, not have to go through a million, a million prompts only to have someone that you talk to who doesn't know really what could be the issue. They don't understand the product. They don't understand the service and they don't understand who the person is and what they what they want. Um, and so for us, that meant having local agents who were able, who lived in the same town, who were also using the same Internet, who were actually customers as well and who could explain to someone um, you know, how the different ins and outs of the internet work, you know, besides just the typical IT guy who, you know, answers phones like, hello, have you turned it on and turned it off again? Uh, <laughs> just to do that. And so offering a, a, a better level of customer service when you have outages, because it's not if you're going to have outages, it's when. And so how do we deal with times of crisis and how do we keep people updated and informed so that uh, you know, most of disappointment comes from a mismatch of expectations and reality? And so the more we can align our customers' expectations to the reality of what they're going to get, the better the experience is for everybody. And to do that while making it as making the whole process as frictionless as possible to where it's just easy for people to participate in. Right, Rick. Now, talking of scaling up the business, uh, how does one do that? Because everybody is not Drake. You have got, you have been, a, you know, entrepreneurs in 16, mm -hmm. from your teens. You, you know about advertising. You have worked there. Uh, digital media, real estate, private equity, telecommunications. You have a finance degree also. So you've got almost everything that is needed 
at every aspect of the business but everybody may not have you know so many uh, so so many qualities or qualifications so how do they scale up and how do they know when to push things on the uh, advertising side marketing side sales side customer side reference side i don't know which side or the financial side how do you do that well i think first is focusing on your product making sure that you have a good product that people want and when you have a good product that people want then that solves a lot of your issues because i can throw a ton of marketing dollars at a really bad product and still bring people in but you'll get a high churn rate where people will you know run out the back door as soon as they see see what you have so the first thing is doing what you can to refine the product once you have a product that people like then it's just a matter of exposure and trying to trying to get it in front of as many people as possible and so you know the first thing make sure you have a business that functions well and a product that works then you can start to add marketing dollars and adding the marketing dollars will create cash flow once you have cash flow now you have to identify how big can my business actually get you know with what are the what are the milestones where am i where am i trying to go with it and that will help you uh, then you can kind of reverse engineer and go okay well if i have a thousand customers right now i want to get to 10,000 what are the steps that i need to take as far as how well is my marketing working how quickly am i able to acquire customers you know looking at so and it really depends like i said on on what kind of business it is whether it's uh, we were a service based uh, business, but we had a lot of hard costs associated with the customer. And so for us to break even on a customer, it took seven months. So as soon as the customer comes on board, I'm having to spend money to get that customer and then, uh, and then we'll wait seven months for that customer to be profitable. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, with... <coughs> Sorry. Um, and so if you have that in place, you have to know I have my marketing cost and I have to put money towards that, but I have to make sure I don't spend all my money on marketing because I have to be able to bring the customer on board too. A lot of times for people, that's just knowing your numbers and actually looking at um, looking at your financials and breaking that down and trying to understand it as best as you can to see how long does it take before I'm actually making money off of my customers. Those types of numbers, once you have that, then once you have all those knobs and dials adjusted, then you just are doing everything you can to reinvest the cash flow. And, you know, take the money that you're bringing in and, you know, put it into your put it into your customer acquisition marketing. Right, Rick. Right. So now uh, a business is built it's been a few years. The business mm -hmm. is running good enough. And it's time for you to sell. Mm -hmm. So how does one start with that process? Should they start putting up a big sign outside their office, business for sale? Or how do they do, start doing that? Usually, uh, I, I would not put up a big sign. Um, that might freak out some of your customers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
because um, they don't know they they don't know any of the reasoning behind that. Um, but what I always look at is who would this be most attractive to? And that's where as an owner, you kind of have to have your head on a swivel, you know, looking at the market, um, looking around saying, hey, you know, where are the winds blowing? You know, what's happening in this space? And so in my space, I knew that I wasn't big enough to attract a financial buyer. So I don't didn't think anybody from private equity was going to come in and try and try and purchase me. Um, but I did think that I made a lot of strategic sense to one of the larger players in the industry uh, to come in um, if they were looking to expand into the market. And so that's a key thing is just being able to identify that. Um, if you can identify who your possible buyer might be, that helps you kind of narrow some stuff down. And in some cases, it some cases it might be somebody who's not yet a competitor. In some cases, it might be somebody who is a competitor. Um, I tried to buy both of my other wireless competitors in town uh, several times. They just they had a different cost structure than I was, and it wasn't going to be. Uh, it wouldn't have worked out um, for them in the long term the way they wanted it to, and so they didn't do it. But it, it would have been I would have been open to selling to them as well because um, we covered the same area, and if uh, we could have both covered each other's territory if one of the purchases had been made. Um, you know, if you have a map, uh, if you have a map up there and, you know, it overlays really well, then you can have the same uh, service technicians covering the same area and it doesn't add too much difficulty. And so that would have worked really well if we'd been able to merge. So in some case, your competitor might be your best buyer. Um, in my case, it was somebody who was coming into town who would have been a competitor, um, but I just managed to get there uh, before they did and make something attractive enough to them. So I think that's really it, is figuring out um, who could be a buyer and what would be most attractive to them, and then just going and talking to them and opening a conversation and be like, hey, you know, is, is this something that you know, you're interested in possibly buying? Um, or would you be interested in um, possibly selling to me? Uh, that's just an easy question um, because it just opens up the dialogue. I mean, my, my best friend, uh, he had a business and he bought uh, five companies um, because just a conversation opened up and it allowed him to grow really quickly so for some people they may not might not necessarily be thinking about growing through purchasing you and because they might not think it's an option but if you let them know it's an option then you actually have something to work with right right Rick. so uh who does the talking is it you yourself uh, one one himself does the talking or they get uh, some representative some uh, some legal firm or some investment firm uh, a bank or something who who does this uh, who represents you because well, that is the valuation also you got to make sure that you are getting the right amount of money yes yes so um it it really depends on the size of your business so i did all of every i did everything myself i had a lawyer um i had a lawyer write up the contract um okay. but i was very involved in in the contract uh the contract negotiation i handled the negotiations myself um i had like you mentioned before, I kind of have worked in a lot of different situations. And so I'm 
a bit more adept at doing those types of things than maybe the average business owner. But um, there are plenty of times where, you know, having representation, a business broker or an investment banker um, to kind of walk you through the process, um, that is something that can be very valuable, especially if you don't feel like you have the, the adequate skill set um, to do it. Um, and, um, you know, they may also be able to help you get your business ready and give you kind of a third party opinion on uh, what it might take and what things you might have to change in your business to make it more attractive to a buyer. And so generally that's the best route to go for people. Um, and um, for me, um, I, it, the business, uh, I just knew at our size, it probably wouldn't make sense. So I just, uh, there's this uh, really great uh, podcast called Built to Sell. And I listened to probably couple hundred episodes on that just listening to stories of business owners selling their companies the 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 pretty stories the ugly stories um the details of what what went well what didn't go well and i used a lot of that information plus what i already knew to try to position myself well so that i felt comfortable negotiating um but uh in some businesses so like my business you mentioned the valuation uh our business uh internet service providers are um, mainly valued based on the type of the equipment that they're using and how new or how in date or out of date that equipment is. And then also on the total amount of sales. So gross sales. Um, and usually you'll see anything from um, 0.7 times one year of gross sales all the way up to 1.3 times gross sales. So if you're, you know, making a hundred thousand a year, um, then the business will sell for anywhere from 70,000 to 130,000. And because our business was, because I knew that, um, we had really up-to-date equipment and we had a lot of capacity in the business. And so that allowed us to trade for 1.3 times our gross revenue and, um, that allowed us to get the top end and the multiple and the, the company we grew, let's see, we had grown 50% that year, um, because of the increased internet traffic and, uh, high customer demand during the 2020 lockdowns during COVID. Um, but then after we sold, they grew another 30% of the whole business without any major capital expenditures, um, because it had been built with enough capacity for anybody who is acquiring it to continue to grow it. Right, Rick. Right. Now, my last question to you on this is that should the entrepreneur or business person be ready with this idea that there may not be any buyers of his business when he is trying to sell it? Yeah, I think it's always, um, always something that's important um, to, it's important to build a healthy business. And whether you are going to sell it or whether you're going to keep it or whether you have to keep it, um, the best business is a healthy business. And uh, a lot of the same things, if anybody gets into the research of, you know, positioning a business to sell, um, the good news is if you go down that path, what you're really doing is just building a healthy business that right. isn't 100% relying on you. And 
So that's the right way to go anyway, even if you don't have someone at the end of the road who can buy it. Um, at the end, you'll more than likely have a more profitable business. Um, you'll have a business that is easier for you to run. It's easier for you to have a family um, while having your business. And so I, I don't think that is something to, that's not something to worry about. Um, and I think that uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's not something to, to really worry about because ultimately, um, ultimately your business will be better for going through the process. Right, Greg, right. Uh, you have very nicely taken us through this whole journey of, you know, from the idea to the selling and also if there are no buyers for it, the best option is to look at always establishing or building a healthy business because that will always have takers. So if at, at this juncture when you have just, you know, exploring what's next, if people want to connect with you on any business idea or want to take your help or, you know, just to know more from you, how do they do that? Uh, I would say the best place if they wanted to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, at LinkedIn, it's just uh, my name, Drake Ciphers, like you have it on the screen. Um, or uh, if they're looking, I'm going to be putting out uh, content that's helpful for uh, for people who are looking to start a business or even have a business. Um, and you can find that it's Instagram. And then my handle is uh, thedrake.tv. Um, and it's that handle on Instagram and on TikTok, um, where I'll be putting out bite-sized content uh, to help people and just try and add value uh, to anybody that owns a business or is looking to get started in a business. Right, right. On this note, Trek, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me.